Please open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4, and please stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Matthew 4, starting at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Lord God, we thank you for your word this day. We pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever find yourself wondering, am I the person God wants me to be? Or asking, Am I in the right place in life? Or is this the right time to do a certain thing? Ever ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Basically, am I the kind of person that God can use? I want to talk with you today about what it takes to be used by God. About being the right person in the right place at the right time for the right reasons. It's stating the obvious to say that God in the flesh, Jesus, while he was on earth, served God, and that he wants us to serve him too. When the mother of James and John, the, son of Ze- the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, and he asked Je- she asked Jesus for preferential treatment for her two sons in the kingdom of God, uh, basically asking for him to put them on equal footing with himself, the other disciples were angry. But Jesus' reply described the nature of his ministry and defined ours as well. He said in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, Let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was showing that it would be humble servanthood, not high-profile leadership, that would characterize those who served him and those who followed. And they'd be following his lead. God uses people who want to serve him for things to come. Jesus changes locations, begins to preach. Jesus begins his Galilean ministry. Jesus cooperated with the plan of God. Always did what the Father willed. Always went where the Spirit led. He served. Now in Jesus' life and in the life of John the Baptist, you see what it takes to be used by God. Now the first thing it takes is the right person. The right person. In verse 12, 
Matthew 4 and verse 12, it says that when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been taken into custody. Now John was thrown into a dungeon in the palace of Macurus at the eastern shore of the Dead Sea by Herod Antipas for reproving him for his wickedness, specifically, especially that he had taken his half-brother's wife. Standing for truth cost John the Baptist, cost him his life. More on that when we get to Matthew chapter 14. But looking back in Matthew, and you look at John the Baptist, he was the right person for the task. He was the right person for his job that God had called him to do. And he did it well. The Gospel of John tells us that John the Baptist was a man sent by God to pave the way for the Messiah to come. John called himself a voice. Just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. Someone calling people to get right with God. For their hearts to be right with God. He was prepared. He was sent by God. And he cooperated. You can kind of think of John like a bridge. A bridge from one place to another. He bridged the Old Testament with the New. The last of the Old Testament prophets, as some have called him. Enter Jesus Christ. And Jesus is called the light. John chapter uh, 1, go, with there, go there with me. John chapter 1 and verse 4. You see, in the passage we're looking at, there is a, a quote from Isaiah that says that the light shined in the dark place. And we see that that light very clearly is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, right after saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that all things came into being through Him, In verse 4, he writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, couldn't understand it, and couldn't overpower it. Then you go down to verse 8. Speaking of John, it says that he came to, to testify about the light. It says he was not the light, but he came to testify about it. Verse 9 says, there was the true light, that's Jesus, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Then you go over to see what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He said it very clearly. He said it very plainly. I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said that in the treasury as he taught in the temple at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles where they remembered the pillar of fire that God used in their wilderness wanderings to lead them from one place to another. See, every light eventually went out. But Jesus was claiming to be the light of the world that never goes out. A powerful image to his readers, to his hearers. Look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse 5. Jesus heals a man born blind. And here's what he said. He said, when I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here was a man who had walked in darkness his whole life. And Jesus heals him. He is able to see light for the first time. He was born blind. But Jesus is saying, I am the light. Not the light that you see with your eyes, but spiritual light in a dark place. Go to 2 Corinthians 4 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 
Speaking of the gospel being hidden, it says that even if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And then verse 6, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus was clearly the person for the job of Savior of the world. In fact, it was shown over and over again, abundantly made evident in this Gospel of Matthew, in the, in the opening parts of Matthew. It's recorded in Matthew, his, his genealogy, his background, his unique birth, of the adoration of the wise men, the anger of political rulers, Old Testament scripture being fulfilled left and right, his baptism where the father and the Son himself and, and the Holy Spirit uh, converged in a beautiful picture of the triune God and his temptation in the wilderness by Satan, setting the record straight, putting him firmly on the path to the cross, which is why he came to earth. And Jesus came out of the light to reveal the darkness sin causes and to bring the light that overcomes that darkness. See, John was a bridge, Jesus the light, And God wants you to be the person he has called you to be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then God is at work in you. God's at work in you. Go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. Tells us how God started a work in us and he will finish that work. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the, day, from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. God's at work in you. He wills and does what he wants. He's at work to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. He is doing that. If you are a Christian, he is doing that in your life right now. Wherever you are in life, and you might be thinking, I'm not making any progress. You might be thinking, but I'm failing so often, or I'm I'm, I'm going the wrong way. If you're a Christian, God is at work in you to conform you to the image of Christ. John was a bridge, and Jesus is a light. We're more like clay in the potter's hands. In fact, go to Isaiah chapter 64 with me. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. See, God is shaping us and molding us into the people he wants us to be. Isaiah chapter 64. In verse 8 it says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. And then go back in Isaiah with me. To Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 9. Speaking of how powerful God is and what he does, verse 9 says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. You don't pick a fight with God. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenwell vessel among the vessels of the earth. 
will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands? You can't quarrel with God because our our job, as God is shaping us and molding us, being at work in our lives, making us into the people he wants us to be, our job is just to relax, sit tight, cooperate. Then do what God's calling you to do. The question you need to ask yourself is, am I cooperating? Am I cooperating with what God is doing in my life? See, when we speak of cooperating with God, we operate in many realms. In homes, in schools, in offices, in communities. Many environments. Some of which are are friendly to the gospel, some of which are hostile to God. It's a wise person who sees what they do as being bigger as just what is seen. A part of a larger plan of God to prepare people for eternity. We operate in conjunction with God. Aware of who he is, aware that he is in control, and yielding to his will and to his purposes and to his plan. That's cooperation. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when we're called ambassadors for Christ, every person who's a Christian is called an ambassador for Christ. And God is entreating us to other people for them to be reconciled to God. And then in chapter 6, it says, and, and working together with him, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Ambassadors are to work together with God. Somehow God uh, mixes our efforts and his plan, and he uses us. He uses us in that plan. He's at work in you if you're a believer. So go along with it. Cooperate. Recognize it. But the first thing is you need to be the right person, the person God's making you to be. The second thing is the right person needs to be in the right place. See, everything happens somewhere. God put us on earth. Now, sometimes you might say to somebody, what planet are you from, right? But, but we're all from, from, from earth. God has put us here on earth. So everything happens in a place. Think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a man sent from God. Where did he go? To the wilderness. Not the city. Not the hub of commerce. To the outskirts to do spiritual things. But he bypassed the religious establishment as God led him out into the wilderness and they came to him. They came to him at the Jordan River where he was baptizing. Getting people ready for the coming king in a specific place at a specific time. He was in the right place for God's plan to unfold. Now in this passage of scripture we're looking at today, Jesus, it says in verse 12, hears that John had been thrown in jail and he withdraws into Galilee. Withdraw means to escape danger. He goes into Galilee, leaves his hometown of Nazareth, and goes there by the seaside town into Capernaum, down by the sea. Some of you wanted to go to the sea yesterday to get away from all the smoke. You found out if you went there that it was worse there. But he was down by the sea, a place called Capernaum. That's where he began his, his Galilean ministry. And it was the arrest of John that led him to withdraw and to escape danger, but it was also because that's where God wanted him to be. That was the next stop on God's agenda for him. Capernaum had a tie-in to two tribes of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali. It's not so much important that it was in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali as it was that it was in Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. See, Jesus came for all people. Jesus came for all nations, not just to the chosen, but to also the dregs of society, also the outcast, also the ones that weren't included. 
all nations. Capernaum was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter lived there. James and John and and most likely their their parents lived there as well. It's where Jesus began to, to, uh, to gather his disciples. He called them and they were the ones that would deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. He would lead them. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is at work in your life, but he's also leading you. God is leading you. God says he will lead us where we're to go. Look with me at Psalm 32. Psalm 32. In the context of, of knowing the blessing of being forgiven from our sins. How blessed we are when, they, when, when we're aware that, that God has forgiven us after we've acknowledged our sins to him. In that context, where it says that the one who is godly should pray to God in a time when he may be found. In the, in the context of God being our hiding place, uh, who preserves us in times of trouble, you look at Psalm 32, verse 8. God says this, I will instruct you and teach you This is his promise. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God is promising to instruct us, to teach us which way to go, and to counsel us as he watches over us. God is at work in you, and he is also leading you. And God says he will do that. So our job is to go wherever we're called to go and do whatever we're called to do there. But the question you need to ask yourself is, where has he placed me? Where's God put me? That's an easy question to answer. Now, sometimes we think merely in terms of geography. We live in a particular place. We work in a particular place. We go to particular places and do particular things. But more important than geography is the condition of our heart. See, geography is, is secondary. It's not primarily a matter of where you are, but of what and who you are when you're there. The person we are who goes to those places. And the right place is righteousness. Righteousness. The right place is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit when we know we're doing what God wants us to do. That assurance that comes from God. In fact, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we ask ourselves, we can ask ourselves, where has he placed me? And, and while I'm in that place, am I a vessel of honor that he can use? Am I clean to be used by him? Am I fit for his use? Am I, am I being accountable? And am I coming clean? Or am I allowing myself to go to the wrong places? Go to the internet or, or another place of temptation? And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we read this in verse 20. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Reminds us of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it says that we would be useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon God from a pure heart. God is leading you. Where has he placed you? 
You've got to ask that question, are my eyes and my hands and my feet going in the right direction? Or are they taking a wayward path? Crucial question to ask. What direction am I heading? Am I going God's way or am I going my own way? That's not a hard question to answer. There is a way, the scriptures tell us, that seems right to a man and the way, the end, is, is the way of death. But see, God will lead us in the right places as we trust him. Just like Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6 tell us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will show you the way to go. Jim Elliott, a missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador in the 1950s, who was killed by those same Indians that he went to reach. He was a young man in his, 20, in his 20s, and he wrote in his journal. He said this. One of the things he wrote was, wherever you are, be all there. You know, sometimes we're in a, in a certain place, and we're just thinking about the next thing. Where am I going next? Or the thing we want to do more than what we're doing at that point, and we can't wait to get to that point. And what happens is we spoil the time that God wants us to seize the opportunity. So Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. And then he said, live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. See, so you've got to be the right person in the right place. And the third thing is, the right person needs to be in the right place at the right time. God's timing is perfect. Think again about John the Baptist with me. John the Baptist was roughly six months older than Jesus. And he started his ministry in God's perfect timing. You look back in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, in those days, in that specific time, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. At a specific time, at a specific place, he came preaching and he appeared there. And it wasn't by accident. It was perfectly timed to coincide and to overlap with Jesus. Like a well-made, handmade cabinet or drawer, perfectly dovetailed. Or like a perfect relay race with, a, with an excellent handoff. Time perfectly. In this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus arriving where he was supposed to be at the perfect time. Look at verse 14. This was to fulfill. What was to fulfill? Well, Jesus, leaving Nazareth, and going to Capernaum, going into Galilee, into Capernaum. It was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had spoken, what, what God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Perfectly timed, arriving where he was to be. Jesus left his hometown, came to Capernaum, because that's where God wanted him. In the place where, in his perfect timing, Scripture would be fulfilled. The prophet had foretold the arrival of, of, a, of a delivering king, Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. If you want to know what Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 says, just look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the nations. Jesus was coming for the nations. People that were in darkness, they saw a great light. Jesus was that light. Jesus was that great light shining in a dark place. The light dawned as the sun uh, at break of day when, when you're waiting for the sun to pop over the mountains or, or through the clouds and, 
and do its business and, and you feel its warmth. In the same way, there was a time of anticipating and a time of waiting before Jesus would arrive in God's perfect time. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4. It's become one of my favorite verses. You've heard me quote it before. But Galatians chapter 4, we see that at the perfect time, God was sent. God sent uh, the Son. Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of the time came, when the time was ripe, when the time was right, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That was His purpose. And it was done in perfect time. Perfect time. I've said it before, but that that Greek word, uh, uh, sent forth, literally means to throw. It means to cast down, ekbalo. And Jesus was cast out of heaven for his good behavior that he might come to earth and deal with our bad behavior, deal with our sins, and to go to the cross for those sins. But Jesus was sent at the perfect time. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1. The next book in the Bible there after Galatians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It says that in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, according to God's plan. And then it says this, his kind intention that he purposed in him, according to administration suitable to the fullness of the times. The right time. Fullness of the times. The summing up of all things in Christ. So the time was right. and Christ was sent. Jesus' arrival was perfectly timed. So was every one of his earthly actions. So was every one of his earthly interactions. First part of verse 17 says, from that time, That little phrase, from that time, signifies a specific point in time and also the start of a new action. Sin had shut the light out. And Jesus was coming to earth to make mankind sensitive to sin once again and to restore the life and the health that sin had destroyed. But God's timing is perfect in your life. If you're a Christian, God's timing is perfect in your life. It might not be the time you want it to be, but in, his, in the lives of his children, God's timing is perfect. But his timing's different than ours, isn't it? We want what we want, and we like it when, when we want it. And we like things to happen according to our plan. But God wants us to wait upon him and to stop and look around at the opportunities he puts right before us. But we're so focused on the tasks that we think we have to do or on the thing that we think we must do in the future, and we sometimes miss it. And the question you've got to ask yourself is this. Am I dealing with my timetable or God's? Am I working on my timetable or am I waiting on God's time? Maybe you're angry about the work that you've been given to do. Maybe you're resenting it. Maybe you're frustrated that you don't see um, more success in what you do or you don't get more recognition. Maybe um, Maybe you're frustrated that Things haven't worked out in your life the way you would hope they would. And we know God's timing is perfect. We've got to ask, am I dealing with my timetable or with God's? Maybe it's something that hasn't happened in your life yet. 
and you just think it's got to happen. God knows. God knows that frustration. God knows that impatience. God knows. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's a declaration from God. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. So things aren't going so great. It doesn't mean God's trying to harm you. And it does not mean that God is trying to punish you for something you've done. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. See, God's timing is perfect. Wait for it. Wait for it. I don't believe in coincidence, and I don't believe in chance happenings for the people of God. God is sovereign. God is all-knowing. He is in control. And everything that happens, God either plans it, purposes it, or allows it for a reason. He's working all things together for good to those who love him. So the right person needs to be the right place at the right time. There's one last thing. The fourth thing it takes to be used by God is that what we do must be for the right reasons. That's crucial. You could have all the other things in line. You could be the right person in the right place at the right time and then do it all for the wrong reasons. See, your motives matter. Why you do what you do matters. To be used by God, it takes the right person in the right place in the right time, but for the right reasons. Think about John the Baptist again. He didn't let himself get caught up in people's misconceptions or misunderstandings of why he was there. They asked him, are you the Christ? Well, sure I am. Follow me. That's not what he said. He said, I am not the Christ. No, I'm not. See, he knew his place and he stayed in the place that God had given to him. He didn't cross the line because he was doing it not for himself, but for God. See, that's what happens when people cooperate with God. Things just seem to fall in place. You don't have to strain. You don't have to, to worry all the time. It just, it just falls in place as God leads and as you follow. Ready, willing, and able to do what God calls you to do. Ready for marching orders. Willing and able to act. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 4. You see Jesus, the prince of preachers, beginning to preach. Jesus, in verse 17, what did Jesus preach? Well, here it's recorded, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that all he said? No, you can look in the other gospels and see that in that very time, there were a lot of things Jesus said. This is a summary It's a great summary, and it sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? It's the same thing that John the Baptist preached. I remember the first time I heard Billy Graham preach. Billy Graham Crusade in 1985, and I was a counselor at Anaheim Stadium. And I remember after he preached thinking, that's it? (laughs) That's all it was? That's the big preacher? Wow. It was because he wasn't trying to be anybody but himself. And he wasn't trying to please anybody but God. And what was he doing? Just being used of God. What was John the Baptist doing? Well, he was just coming to do what he was called to do. They asked him, who are you? I'm just a reed shaking in the wind, blowing in the wind. I'm just a voice out in the wilderness. Make 
path, make the paths ready, make straight the way of the Lord. And what about Jesus? He starts to preach. He proclaims something. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God incarnate, preaching. Wouldn't it have been great to hear those words? We read them. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind. Change your ways. Salvation is near. Reconciliation with God is going to be available. Jesus' reasons were for salvation and reconciliation and the glory of God. And repent wasn't all he said, but it was a good summary. But how about you and me? Why do we do what we do? The question you need to ask yourself is, what are my motives? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, if, if our motives were all written on our sleeves every day, we'd be in big trouble, wouldn't we? Everyone would be upset with us. People would be shocked. People would be really surprised. As it is, they are hidden to all but God and us. And aren't you glad? But God knows our motives, and we must remember that he will bring them to light. Jesus, who is the light, illuminates. He reveals truth. He exposes sin. The scriptures tell us that someday the thoughts of all our hearts will be exposed. But we know at all times and at every moment, the thoughts and intentions of our hearts are open and laid bare before God. So why do you do what you do? Why do you practice law? Why do you lead a company? Why do you manage a household? Why do you teach your children? Why do you teach school? Why do you pay your taxes? Why do you enforce the law? Why do you love your spouse? Why do you reach out to your neighbors? You do whatever God gives you to do, right? There's ample reason to dive in with gusto to whatever God calls you to do. As Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do that. Do that with all your energy. Dive in with gusto to whatever God gives you, whatever task there is at hand, because it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God, and we're made to be used as God's instruments, God's tools of grace in a needy world, wherever we find ourselves. Not for our own good only, we will be blessed, but for the good of others, and overall for the glory of God, over and above everything. And that's a mission bigger than us. That's a mission bigger than our family and bigger than this church and something you can really get excited about because it's so much bigger than us. It's God Almighty being pleased to use us in some way. That's something to get fired up about. God is pleased to use you for his glory in whatever way he's wired you up to do his work. Are you a homemaker? Do that to the glory of God. Do you work in an office all day long? Do it for God's glory. You look at a computer screen all day long and you wonder sometimes, what am I doing? Do it for the glory of God. Do you work in a kitchen? Cook for the glory of God. Are you a student? Study and read and learn for the glory of God. Even math. I know, it sounds wild, but it's true. You can do that to the glory of God. Are you a blue-collar worker? 
finding yourself under several layers of upper and middle management and sometimes feeling like you're mistreated. Find yourself in employment that doesn't always seem to be for the greater good. It's always for someone else's bottom line. Leave that up to God. See, God, God has called you and you work for the king of kings more than you work for your boss. His eye is on the sparrow and his eye is on you to inspire you and to motivate you to do what you do for his glory, for his reasons, for his greater plan that you can't always see, but you know is in operation. Do whatever you do for the glory of God. I don't know if, if you've ever thought about it, but you are the only one that can do your job. Like, what? What do you mean? They can get someone else. Well, you are the only you that can do what you have been called to do. You're not indispensable. But who knows that God has not called you to the thing that he's called you to do for such a time as this. That he has a stealth plan that is in operation and unfolding and he has people, his people of all ages everywhere. Everywhere. All over the place. In schools and homes and offices, in county offices, in government offices, in fire stations, in police stations, overseas and at home, in small towns, in big cities, as students and teachers, as dishwashers and clerks and greeters and attorneys and checkers and cooks and day laborers and maids and gardeners and doctors and pool cleaners. As unemployed, skilled laborers and executives and accountants, in nursing homes and mansions, in shanty towns and shacks, in homes paid for and in pre foreclosure. God knows where his own are at all times. There is never a moment when his care falters, never a moment when we are not under his watchful eye. God knows the situation of every one of his children. Everyone. He knows who is his. He is in control. And he knows what he's doing. He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so God is working for an eternal plan that he wants his people mixed up in too. He wants you all mixed up in his eternal plan. It's safe to say that he wants that to be of extreme um, utmost importance to us. And so the books and the cleaning and the, the balance sheets, those are secondary. Those are secondary. The bottom line is eternity is approaching, eternity is drawing near, and God is preparing a, per, a people zealous for good works, for himself. He is calling people, and they are in his workforce, for his master plan to save multitudes, to reconcile people to himself. So believe it or not, you are right where God wants you to be today. Exactly where God wants you to be today. Even if you're like Jonah and you're running from where he, where he led you. He will prevail. He'll, he's in charge. Now you can do it the hard way or the easy way. You can do it God's way or your way. Either way, God will be victorious. He'll get the glory. So it's always better to cooperate. 
It's always a good thing. But the cool thing is, he gives us the desire to cooperate. I delight to do your will, O God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it takes a willing heart. A willing heart. So, ready to get to work? Let's pray. Lord God, we want our hearts to be willing. And we do want to pray, Lord, with all our hearts, your will be done. And we pray, Lord, that as you are pleased to use us, that we would cooperate wherever you've placed us. We might not like where you've placed us, but we can love you because you put us there. And we thank you, Jesus. Amen.